Hello and welcome to the Swan Song Project podcast. My name is Ben Buddy Slack and I'm the founder of the Swan Song Project. We're a charity that helps people faithfully into their lives to write and record their own original songs. If you'd like to find out more about the charity and how you might support us, you can do so on our website, which is swansongproject.co.uk. And you can also check us out on the various social media platforms and the links for them will be in the description to this episode. Uh, this podcast features a range of songwriters and I talk to them about music and bereavement. We talk about one of their songs, um, how they wrote with that, they share with us a songwriting tip and like useful for new songwriters, and they also share with us a song that's meaningful to them in some way related to bereavement. This episode features Hugh Nankibel. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, today I'm here with Hugh Nankerville. Thanks for joining me, Hugh. You're welcome. Nice to be with you, Ben. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. Um, so Hugh is the he's a musician and songwriter and community artist. So I met Hugh, I don't know how many years ago it was now, I was in, in a workshop that you were running in Leeds, that um, Chapel FM, I might have been East Leeds FM at the time, was running. Um, and it was my first introduction to community music. So uh, in some ways, Hugh is responsible for all of the work that I've done since then and the start of the Swan Song Project because I didn't even know what community music was and then I was invited to go on this workshop and um, he led it and it kind of led me into doing songwriting workshops with people that's then developed and developed into the Swan Song Project. So thank you for the, being the spark that started that year. You're welcome. Nice to have met you. Yeah, I remember it was in the, in, it was in the chapel quite soon after they got the chapel, wasn't it? That was the second one because I think I've been in two of your workshops. The first one was at Leeds College of Music. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah then we did another one at the, at the chapel a few years after that. Yeah. So yeah, um, going back a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting the word community musician, which you know, and I have been a, a, what what is often called a community musician. For, for all my life, I would say, really. Um, and, you know, I was one of the people who set up the SoundSense, the National Community Music Association, when we realised, you know, lots of people all over the country, sort of 30 years ago, were doing the same sort of thing or similar things. It's just like, well, we should have a kind of body to talk about it. Um, and then there's always the question of, you know, what's community and what's music it always comes up every few years. <laughs> and sometimes I think I'm, I, I, sometimes I think I'm a, a social musician. I think in some ways is a, is a kind of perhaps a more useful word. Sometimes I, I use that, and um, and and then sometimes I think I'm a, I'm a municipal musician. Another <laughs> quite interesting kind of phrase to kind of describe what I what it is that I do. But I suppose essentially what you know being a social community musician means is that you know you're making music with other people. You're you're inspiring or you're learning from a kind of your the community in which you are. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it was something like yeah. It, it never, I never knew about it as an option as a musician of that of that being a kind of job that you could do and um, there being opportunities for work in that those kind of areas um, and it's yeah it's, and I think it's something that you know, a lot of musicians could benefit a lot from um, having the you know these these kind of projects to be involved with and mm -hmm. I remember thinking at the time we got with that that workshop because that was it was very much a a workshop for people who were getting into community music about how you deliver these workshops and that. Um, and that, that kind of training would be great to have more available for people as, as I said, for me, it was just kind of lucky that I knew um, the crowd at Leeds FM who mm. put me onto it um, and then started this whole different section of my, uh, my work, really. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, before we get into the usual structure of the podcast, um, I'm going to ask you just to say a little bit about a particular project that he's been involved with, which uh, is quite similar to this one song in lots of ways. Um, but you just tell me a little bit about the follow project. So you just wanted to say a little bit more about that for you. It's not, it's not a specific project, Ben, but it's just that I've been doing over the last five years a lot of work with people with dementia and in care homes quite a lot. Um, some of that work is um, with intergenerational groups. So bringing preschool kids in, whether that's from with childminders or whether it's out after school that they kind of come in, you know, with their parents. So there's been a range of those different kinds of projects. and. Um, and one of the things that I've, I've been really enjoying doing as part of that is when someone dies in a care home, it's like, you know, if the, if the care home is up for it and there are three where they definitely are, we write a song with the rest of the group about that person. So it's a kind of, you know, a posthumous 
memory of that person and it's been it's been really really lovely to be to be able to do that you know so like when i'm writing a song with a with any group it's you know the provocation for that one is oh what do we remember about john you know what are the things that we we liked about john how could we kind of memorialize him in song and because i think that you know I'm, I'm really i'm really impressed that you're doing you know your your project because death is such a difficult issue for so many people to be able to you know um to discuss uh, and I, I have one very good um colleague who runs a she's the outreach person for a care home um she's the events coordinator and the outreach person and so when someone there has died i will have a chat with her about you know, how we should approach that songwriter you know and she said well maybe we don't do it this week maybe we just leave it till you're in next month because it might be still a bit raw or actually if there's someone in the room i think it might be too upsetting you know but whereas if they're not there today then let's do it you know let's see how much we remember rita and what is it that we remember about her um so i've really enjoyed that that element and then it becomes a celebration you know they're never a sad song they're always about you know and sometimes if they're, it's someone with dementia, it's about the fact that they used to forget things or that they used to roar like a dog, you know, <laughs> they're kind of really nice little kind of moments that you're able to kind of celebrate with them. So, yeah, and I think one of the other things I was just saying to you is that, you know, again, when if you're on an intergenerational project, it's kind of great because it means we're able to talk about death with young kids and people in a way that, um, you know, just doesn't really happen in in kind of in normal life um you know it's it's one of the very very few things we know is going to happen to us and yet we don't talk about it. of course you know this all the time because that's what your work is but you know to be able to for for a three-year-old to see her childminder crying and to be able to say why and then they say well dot's not here this week and they say why well dot died you know and it's like um so to be able to kind of have that conversation about it because of course care homes are you know, one element of them, just like hospices at one level, is where people go to die. It's very rare that you go into a care home and then come out again. Some people do, of course, but, um, you know, old people's care homes. So that's been a really, um, I've felt like a quite important element of my work. And actually one of the sad things about COVID-19 has been that there's, um, there's a care home. The, in fact, the nearest care home to my house, Ben, is a very lovely one. And four people died in the same week of COVID-19, including three who I knew really well. And if a brother and sister aged 197 died on the same day. And of course, we've not, I've not been able to go back and I've done one gig outside the care home <laughs> since singing to the wit through the to the windows, but I've not been able to go in. And that's felt, you know, one of the things about, you know, about COVID-19. I've had lots of, I've known quite a few people who have died of COVID, you know, so um, my, you know, so my friend Graham, who, you know, his, his mum and another friend's mum both died of it. And the, the thing about it is that lack of being able to grieve socially, you know, and it's that thing, isn't it, about when somebody dies that you get together with friends and you sing some songs and you have a party, you have a wake, don't you? You know, that's the whole thing about it. And so people not to be able to do that. And I've really felt it with uh, Arthur and Avis, the brother and sister, I was just saying. You know, we've I've not been able to go back there because um, uh, I have a monthly group that that band is called the Musical Cavaliers. They're, they're a great group and we meet once a month and I've not been able to go back and say, you know, let's let's celebrate Arthur and Avis and write a song for them. Um, so that has felt, you know, it's been very difficult that that element of not being able to grieve. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's um, the the like rituals and processes for dealing with these things are so important and particularly when you get a really positive one like like doing the creative outlet and so i think we'll be talking about children then so we've done done some, some work with one song with children who are you know, losing parents and grandparents in hospices and it always seems like such a nice thing for them to at this time of difficulty to then be doing something and i also think that like hopefully it's inspiring the skill in them that something that they might not have known they had but now's the time you've you've realized you can take something difficult and make something nice out of it and enjoy this this process um but yeah the important and like the feeling of some kind of closure you know that's what funerals say a lot isn't it is that it's, it gives that element of closure that some people won't be able to have now of those those usual rituals for dealing with with loss yeah because you it feels like you do need to have it 
within a certain time frame. You know, I think that, you know, sometimes people say, you know, when, you know, in terrible tragedies and they never find bodies or they don't find them for years, that that lack of being able to, you know, celebrate it has felt a real kind of wound. And I've never really understood that because I've not had it as a kind of experience for me, whereas I definitely do on this occasion, you kind of think, yeah, I've not been able to go and say goodbye to Arthur. You know, I've not been able to do that. And even that, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a close friend. I've known him for two years and he was 98 when I first met him. But I do feel I have a kind of, um, you know, he became, in fact, Ben, he became the conductor of our group. It was great. He, um, he discovered conducting at the age of 98. And on his 100th birthday, we gave him a conducting baton. And it was really fantastic, you know, and we got him on telly to do some conducting, which just felt really great. So I do feel I kind of, um, you know, I, I was um, uh, invested, sounds far too technical. I was, uh, I was really, I felt I was involved in, in, in the end of his life in that sense of kind of, you know, giving him something that he wasn't getting otherwise you know which is what music again can really offer yeah yeah i'm sorry to hear about those losses you and i hope um hope this you know a time comes soon where you can find a way uh, with some of the people there to do something to mark them yeah 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 and yeah it sounds like a great project um i really like the intergenerational aspect of it i was just going to ask you before we move on to the, the usual structure of how do you find those sessions compared to your other songwriting workshops in general do you find them different in any way to facilitate them in the same way or obviously with, you mentioned sometimes there's a more emotional element to them but it's there with intergenerational groups or with just like in care homes with that the writing the songs in in memory of someone who's just passed yeah i mean i find i i would say they're exactly the same as normal you know you have a whiteboard and you just come up with ideas you know you say you know john john died last week what do you remember about John? Let's 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 make a song especially for him that we can celebrate, and then people come up with ideas. And you know, again, if you're in if you're in care homes or if you're in intergenerational groups, some lines are going to be emotionally resonant. Some are going to be silly. Some are going to be funny. Some are going to be non sequiturs because you've got people there with dementia. You know, quite often, and, and so you usually it's about accepting everything in in that space. So um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily find them any different. Good stuff. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, cool. Well, let's move into the, the usual structure of the podcast then. So uh, people have seen these podcasts before and now we, we do them just three sections. So we're going to have one of Hugh's songs in a moment and then we'll have a little bit of a chat about how you wrote that. Then, uh, then Hugh's going to share with us a songwriting tip. And then we're going to talk about a song that's meaningful to Hugh in some way related to breathing at the end. So uh, I'll ask Hugh to introduce your song for his place and then we'll, uh, we'll have a bit of a chat about it afterwards. Yeah, it's always very difficult being asked to present a song, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what song encapsulates exactly what you are about? Um, and actually often it's just a, a recent one is by far the most useful, I think. So I, I've chosen a song that I wrote since um, lockdown, quite early on actually, which is called A Musical Hug. Um, and uh, this is a song that I wrote because I, one of the care homes where I work, um, we do a very lovely project. This is one's called The Biscuit Band, where we have, we meet in the care home, but some other older isolated people come and they get a lift there or they get a minibus that picks them up and they get brought from locally. And then we have like an hour together and then we have tea and cake and biscuits and then kids and families come for another hour after school. So we, it's a very kind of, it's a long afternoon, but it's always really, really lovely. So I got to know these kind of socially isolated people quite well and they're mostly older ladies and they mostly, you know, live on their own and they mostly have to have some kind of care. I'm always kind of amazed that they're still able to live on their own, you know, because they're kind of quite disabled. So there were kind of a group of w women um, and Gladys is one in this group. And there's another one called Mary, another one called Rita, another one called Anne. Um, and then I was also thinking about quite a few relatives that I've got. So my sister Bridget, who, um, and a cousin Mary, um, and another really nice friend, a visual artist who, um, she's, she's struggled with, uh, mental health all her life. And, um, and she's been in my choir and, uh, she's a very lovely woman and her, she's called Hazel. And I was really thinking about all these people who are on their own and, you know, might, you know, for very good reasons need to be, you know, shielding and not see anyone else. Um, and thinking about that thing, you know, I call it the musical hug because that physical thing about you know being able to physically touch people um 
there's a there's a Japanese word called skinship. I don't know if you've ever come across this, which is a, a really fantastic word. When I first heard it, you know, it's clear in English word skinship. You know, it's like you know kinship, and it's like skin. And I went to a primary school once, and they said these kids need skinship. And I thought well, that's it, and they kind of assumed I would know what it means, which of course I do, but I'd not heard it before. It is a fantastic word, and. And the, the teacher, no, the classroom assistant in this class, he just rolled around the class with these kids. <laughs> they were in year one or reception, so they were very young. But that's what the school was saying, was that they need that physical contact. And I'm really aware when, you know, in care homes and in, especially with early years as well, what people want is to have their hands held, to be hugged, you know. And um, so I was thinking, hey, we can't do, we can't do a physical hug at the moment so can we make a musical hug so it's a very simple song in the sense that it, it doesn't have it doesn't have a chorus it doesn't have a bridge it doesn't have a middle eight it's just repeated verses that go round and round so it has mary first and then it has um gladys and then hazel and then bridget are the kind of four people that i've all happened to be women with two syllables um and someone saw <laughs> As, accused me as I sang it online once saying what about men what about people with one syllable what about four syllables and uh, so I've sung it I've, I have sung it a few times in some Facebook live gigs where I've um, you know added other people's names and I was really glad that my my son Laurie who plays Cornet um, and uh, I just uh, it felt like it kind of needed something else so kind of early on in lockdown and he just he's a he's a touring musician plays full-time in a band and their, their whole tour had been cancelled so I knew he was at home and uh, so it was really lovely that he was able to play a cornet and so the cornet which comes after the third verse is that little instrumental break the music is the same it's just the same sequence again but there's the kind of breathing break and I'd like to think that at that point perhaps people could think of their own verse so that was when I did the original recording but the version that I did for you is just me at the piano singing the, the verses around it's definitely we'll have that now and then uh, I'll put in the link for the description where people can hear the version of the cornet as well because that's really nice. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah here's uh, my mu uh, musical hug of Hugh McEvill. The musical hug. Brilliant. So that was a uh, musical hug by Hugh Nankerville. Yeah, it's a lovely little song, Hugh. And um, I really like, I feel like it's a great song um, in terms of, you know, like if you're saying, you can really, people could easily adapt it to their own to personalize mm. it more. Um, and yeah, it just feels like a, a, it could be a very multi purpose song for lots of different people. Yeah. And did you have in mind when you were writing it, did you have a clear um, 
were you thinking of things like that? You wanted it to be that it could be used for other people, and did you want to, um, like, what were you thinking in terms of the musicality of it before? Did you have a plan of like wanting to keep it fairly simple and things like that, or did it just did it just develop naturally? It's a very good question. I I don't think I do think those things before, and I just think I need to make a little song here. Um, let's see where it goes. And I'm always intrigued as to why some songs do last and others don't, you know, because I make songs all the time and especially kind of instant songs with people. And you think, well, why is that one stuck? I met a kid the other day on the park run just before Christmas. <laughs> I say a kid, she's about 12. And I'd written a song with her when she was four in reception class, an alphabet song because the class teacher said, you know, there's no alphabet songs. All the, all the alphabet songs, it's, it's just terrible. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. She says, it's horrible. Why do we, can't we have so much? So we wrote some, we wrote some whole alphabet songs. And this girl's been singing it for the last, you know, eight years or something. And, I, and her dad says, oh yeah, she sings it all the time. And it was just like, I was thinking, you know, how, you know, you have no idea that that one is going to stick. And yet it does. And I knew with this one, it was quite interesting with the musical hug that, um, because uh, I shared it on SoundCloud and Facebook or something, and lots of people started listening to it and sharing it with each other. And, you know, so sometimes you you realise that something you've made has some, some kind of resonance. Um, and I suppose it is quite simple. You know, a lot of my songs are more harmonically or rhythmically quirky than this one. I mean, this one has major ninths and sevenths in it and sixths in it, but it's kind of essentially fairly straightforward as a song. Um, so maybe there is something in that that people feel comforted by. You know, we're comforted by things that are in four and three because we're used to it. And when things are kind of out of that or have, you know, harmonic dissonances, people kind of feel it takes a bit more time to get into. Yeah, yeah, it feels like, you know, it's a, it's a comfortable tune that you feel people would pick up easily. And, it's, you know, it's a thing, you know, like in the group workshops, having those songs that, um, yeah, we usually be able to grasp the structure of and then join in with and build up. So it feels like something what people can listen to it and then sing it around the house with their own people and sing it to each other. Uh, yeah, and when I've done it live on Facebook a few gigs, so um, I've, you, obviously, you know, with, with live Facebook gigs, you're getting some notes on the chat. You're relying mm. on that as to respond. But um, of course, I've no idea whether people are listening who I don't know, whether they're on their own or not. And it's been really nice. It's, Someone has said, so I have, I've got a friend actually in Huddersfield called Liz, who, who who's listened to all my gigs. And I hadn't, for some reason, I because she's got kids, they've left home, I, I didn't think, oh yeah, she's someone who's been, you know, on her own in that time. Which um, And so when she said, I, you know, I sang a version, I put Liz into it. Of course I did, because she'd sort of said, I'm on my own, Hugh. Um, you know, and I have become very conscious that people who are on their own, it's a very different life. You know, the fact that I've been in a house with two other people who I can, you know, physically hold and hug and touch, you know, there is that, and talk to in a very different way from talking online. Yeah. Yeah, they're interested in the live gigs. I remember finding at the start of lockdown when the first started happening, I think it was Mick Artistic was the first one that I watched. Um, and I remember just feeling like how nice it felt to be watching something that was live and knowing that other people were watching it. You know, some of my friends were watching it as well. And like, I didn't, I didn't kind of think that would be as big a thing as it was to watch just, you know, if we were all watching different TV shows, different times and stuff like that, but watching something where you know other people are sat watching it as well, enjoying the same thing and seeing the live reactions and... Yeah. Yeah, powerful yeah. thing. Yeah. Another question I was going to ask you, which um, is kind of something what I, I think is particularly personal for me in terms of my development as a musician and as a community musician as well, is do you find anything in terms of how do you, I think the best way of phrasing this, but like, I guess it's maintaining your, your own artistic um, voice and like way of creating your own songs whilst still doing your community work. And do you feel any kind of mixture between like doing the group where you're working with so many different people in different ways and then maintaining a, like the Hugh Nankerville way of doing things and your, like your own artistic, does that make sense in a way of like, it's something I just kind of feel like with myself sometimes when I'm doing lots of songs with different people, then it's remembering what the way I want to write my own songs in a separate way. Yeah, I think I think I used to worry about that more then than I do now. 
I don't worry about it in in the sense that um, I'm you know I'm aware that when I'm making a song, um, you never know what's going to happen with it, and you know, you know and sometimes if I'm on my own. So for instance, like just before I started you, I just started to write a song this morning um, and I've no idea where it's going to go. But I'm aware that, you know, if I'm writing it just for me, that I'm the person responsible for the emotional content of what it is that's there. And so when I share it, it may be that that emotional content is only really of relevance to me. Or it might be that sometimes it, you're, it's clear that it has an emotional relevance for other people as well. Um, and, but it's only my kind of responsibility. So I, you know, I might put it online and then nobody might listen to it and that's kind of fine. Um, when I'm working with other people, um, I'm, my kind of job is slightly different in the sense that what I'm doing is I'm kind of shepherding stuff or I'm kind of arranging the ideas that, that, that people kind of present. Um, and and I suppose I feel more of a sense of uh, responsibility for them feeling that they've been empowered or they've got some kind of agency or they've got some kind of um, had some involvement in it, which is different because if it's just me, it doesn't kind of, you know, doesn't matter anyone else. Whereas when I'm in a room with, you know, 10 or 20 other people, I'm kind of conscious of all their input. So I suppose at one level it, it's it's no different and on one level it's quite different. I'm not sure I've explained that at all actually. Yeah, I think I follow you. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's something I, I didn't anticipate um, but that's something I think when I was and I guess you know, the other element of it is um, do you ever feel creatively tired when you're doing a lot of something I kind of wondered at times of when I'm doing a lot of workshops and a lot of sessions with other people then having the energy to do my own creative stuff can be um, can be tricky and it's something I think I'm still trying to find a balance with. you experience that at all? Definitely experience being tired through working you know um, in, in that sense of you know whether you're what kind of output you're out the out, the output and the input yeah the balance of those is really important and um and i know that for me i need to make music on my own you know and if i haven't sat at the piano or you know worked on something a little bit for myself each day then i sometimes feel oh that's what i've not done yet it's 10 o'clock at night i haven't actually played the piano i need to go and do that for myself to kind of regenerate myself um but it's but i find the thing about knowing how much energy you're going to give it's really really hard and i think that you know that i must you know the 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 feedback you get when you're working with people is um is really important so actually a good a good example is that i've just finished or just before lockdown a year in the two dementia wards in exeter hospital and that's been really really interesting and they're so varied those sessions because i'll arrive and i'll just say to the sister you know, is there a bay you'd like me to go in? You know, the bays have six beds in, or are there any individual rooms you'd like me to go in? And and sometimes those, the whole session is just complete filled with joy. And and that, you know, those kind of, you know, you're, you're singing old songs and making songs up and you're, and I'm aware that I'm working with the patients and the families and the staff equally. I'm kind of aware that there are three different kind of groups there. And, and sometimes you, you just come away feeling kind of very energized and you know, you've had a really great time. And other times you go and it's just hard work. It's just really hard because people are very distressed and people are very clear that they don't want you there. <laughs> and, uh, oh God, someone's making music again. Oh my God. You know, they say that out loud or they swear quite often. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's quite, it's quite easy to be put off by that thing. And, you know, you kind of to, to feel, um, so yeah, I think that I, I definitely, there's, it's definitely kind of symbiotic, you know, that you kind of, you're picking up on energy in spaces, um, as well as kind of um, giving out 
a lot of energy. And so sometimes when I get back, I, I'm, I'm surprised how tired I am. And sometimes I'm surprised that I'm not more tired. You know, I might come back from doing a kind of long day, but actually the energy has been so good that it's felt fine. Yeah, I think that's the same. I find the same thing with my own writing as well. If you're like, sometimes you'll, you'll have a session where you're writing something and you feel great and you come away really buzzing about it. And sometimes it feels much more like harder work. It's just, I guess it's a consistency with the creative process, isn't it? Sometimes it's, uh, it's firing sometimes it's not <laughs> um yeah cool so uh let's move into into the next part now so this is where i ask my guests to share a songwriting tip it might be useful for new or aspiring songwriters so uh, what would your tip for us Vicky? Uh, i've got two tips for you if that's all right then one is uh you say yes to every idea okay for me this is a really important thing in, in terms of being a kind of collective or community song songwriter you know that if i go into a room and, and um, you know, we might sing a, a hello song or play a little musical game or sing a couple of songs they know, and then we'll decide we're going to write a song today. And, um, you know, it may be that the care manager or the school teacher or whoever it is has said, you know, we're doing a project about this. Could we do a song about that? Or it might be, let's just say, you know, what should we write a song about today? And someone will say something and you say yes. And then you say, what's the first line going to be? And and we'll say something and you say yes and you write down everything that people say you know obviously if it's all swear words or if it's you know abusive in some way you don't but the saying yes because then things happen and it's like you're opening a door and uh, as soon as you say no you have to then kind of find another way around and it's slower and it's more convoluted and you lose the focus of people so for me, that kind of first rule of just saying yes to stuff and then seeing how quickly you can then make that into a, into a song is really, is really important. Of course, saying yes to every idea means that your song is not going to, is possibly not going to have a very coherent or unified or a kind of shared emotion because it's going to be this kind of diverse set of things but um you can kind of you can talk about that and explain that and you can say yeah and so next time i come in i'm just going to work with ben for 10 minutes and we're going to write a little song just me and ben and that will have a kind of emotional content or um so yeah so saying yes is the first thing and then uh, and then my second one if i if i'm allowed to say two one is just that every song that you're going to make is going to sound like another song somewhere in the world <laughs> And so I, I often kind of start by when I'm writing songs with groups and I say, look, you know, the fact is that you're going to make a song that somewhere else in the world is going to sound a bit like. It's going to have the same vocal phrase, possibly. It's going to have the same chords, almost certainly. <laughs> it's going to have the same melody. It's going to have probably some of the same words in. But what you mustn't do is mention that song. So as soon as, you know, you, as soon as someone says, oh, they think in their head, oh, this sounds like ABBA song. This sounds like... John Lee Hooker song, this sounds like something else. As soon as you say that, it's kind of destroyed because then the rest of the group, all they can hear is that other song. So you just acknowledge that every song is going to sound like another song and that's where the idea will probably have come from, you know, that everything is a kind of composite learning from other things, but you don't mention it. Yeah. So two little tips. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I think you're right with, with the second part as well. I think you'd be surprised um, how how little people get those, you know, it might seem like I've done a lot of time where I've written a song, which to me has been very heavily inspired by another song. But then you play it for someone else. And most of the time, unless you make it really obvious, a lot of the time, even if it's, you know, there's a lot of similarities, people don't spot them as, as often as uh, I, I used to worry they would. Mm. And same like learning other people's songs, you know, like you'd learn, learn a Bob Dylan song, and then you'd learn a, you know, like, yeah, John Lee Hooker song or something like that. I'd be very surprised finding out that they're actually quite similar structurally. It just sounds so different the way different artists do them there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, that's really good. I was just going to ask you as well about the saying yes stuff. Does that, does that apply with your own stuff as much? Or is that more a, a group technique? Yeah, it's a very good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I think, um, I say, so I quite often, when I just sit at the piano, I play something and usually I'll play something that I quite like. If, if that makes sense. And so I'll record it and, um, and then I'll usually write down some words and I'll initially think, oh, there's quite a bit like, you know, the same thing about in a group session, you know, someone will say something 
and you write it down or some will say you know or or they might play these two chords and you think oh, those two chords work really well and i suppose for me that the the difference is that i then go back to stuff so you know i was saying before that i if i get to the end of the day and i haven't played i'll quite often sit down at night and i'll play and i might jot a few things down and and then i'll think okay i'll leave that till tomorrow or the day after and then i'll come back to it and see if it's any good um and sometimes so i, I sort of say yes to stuff but then later on when i'm kind of in that editing process i'll then change it or reject it or edit it yeah but so that is that difference is that you know when you're there in a room and you've got half an hour and you're going to make a song you don't have that time to kind of reflect on it or edit it yeah, if you're kind of working quickly to kind of make something with the spirit of what you've got in that room i mean i've learned my i've learned that as a lesson as well i, I did um am i allowed a little diversion here yeah <laughs> I, I had a very wonderful three years um, working in a special school quite near you actually Ben Lydgate special school in um, just outside Holmfirth and it was a fantastic residency I just had half a, an afternoon a week for three years um, and I've been writing a lot of collective songs with a kind of group of teenagers for a while um, and then at one point this one lad Andrew I've never forgotten this and it was about 20 years ago and he said to me Hugh when are we going to write a real song and it was such a brilliant question and we unpacked it and he meant two things he meant when are we going to write a song that sounds like robbie williams who is his favorite you know with the kind of production values instead of me playing the guitar or the accordion and then playing crap percussion out of time um but then but I, for me more important he meant when are we going to write a song that means something to me um and what was brilliant about that was i was then able to go to the head teacher bill gola and say bill could i do some one-to-one -one sessions with andrew and then we started and he and we he wrote some extraordinary things about you know how his mum wouldn't use the hoist because it took too long to get him out of bed and so she was doing her back in or how the bus driver drove too fast to school and it really hurt him or the fact that he was a season ticket holder at huddersfield town but he couldn't ever swear with his mates because he was always in the family enclosure. <laughs> so these things, like you know, he, he was able to, we were able to have one-to-one -one sessions and write some stuff that was um, really emotional um, um, and kind of quite powerful. We never really cracked the sounding like Robbie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> but we did definitely do that other half, which it made me realise, yeah, when you're, if you worked one-to-one -one with some, someone, you can really kind of find what it is because there's a limit to where you can go writing group songs and he clearly got to that limit after we'd done probably two or three and he waited a few more <laughs> weeks before he kind of got to the end of his tether yeah, yeah i think that's a, that's a really important lesson that i'm kind of um, being yeah being aware of the 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 pros and cons of a group and um for me it was well, realizing that and then being able to articulate to people so if you get questions like that and because when you with a group as well it's very, it can be hard balancing some people are like very lyrically focused. I want to spend a lot of time writing very kind of in-depth, meaningful lyrics. Other people are very melody focused. I want to just spend a lot of time with you. And it's it's very hard to balance that sometimes, isn't it? But I remember being clear about that. Of like, you know, we're writing a song as a group here. We've got a set amount of time. So we've got to accept these parameters and we're going to do the best we can with that. If somebody really wants to write a, a Leonard Cohen-esque, you know, masterpiece, that's going to that's a different project that's going to take a bit longer and you might need some one-to-one -one time and things like that. And, yeah and same with the um with the you creating your own songs as well of like whether i'm just going to do you know put out a quick song now i just feel like making up on the spot if i'm going to spend one that i'm going to come back to and edit over over years and years again as leonard cohen would say i'll just finish leonard cohen's biography so he's very <laughs> very hot in my mind but spending those years coming back to songs editing them over and over again yeah yeah great stuff um, cool, so let's move into the third section now. So this is where I ask my guests to share with us a song that's meaningful to them in some way related to bereavement. And um, what I do here is I put the link for the song in the description. So if you're watching or listening to this and you want to go and check out the song, you can find it there. And uh, I'll listen to it and come back and hear us talk about it. Uh, so what song did you choose for us, Hugh? Um, I mean, again, this is, there's quite a lot I kind of felt that I, I could have used. And, and I, my immediate thought went to, um, the Foray Requiem, which for me is the kind of longest history back. I remember when I was a kid and I, I came home from school day and I felt really ill. I, felt, I think I was sick for a few days. 
And my, my dad put the Foray Requiem on the record player. I just sat in the living room and he put it on. And I never heard it before. And I did think this was kind of quite extraordinarily magical music. And then I found out what it was all about. And I thought, oh God, I'm going to die. My dad's put it on because he knows I'm going to die. <laughs> and that was a kind of, so I've had that, and that connection with that music, which I think is sublime music, the Foray Requiem. And particularly as opposed to other Requiems, you know, I know Mozart's and Verdi's, but they've never done quite the same. And so there was that thing about, you know, having the connection with it, I think, from that early age. But the song I chose uh, is um, Casimir Pulaski Day by Sufjan Stevens, um, which, uh, yeah, it's off his um, Come On Feel the Illinois album. Um, and it, it struck me from when I first heard it, because I've written songs most of my life but I, I didn't, I don't think I really became a, an interesting lyricist or a good lyricist until I was in my thirties. <laughs> and I think it's because I didn't used to listen to the words. I, you know, I could never listen to the words the first time through, which is why I think I've probably, why Bob Dylan has kind of sort of passed me by most of my life, kind of rather sadly. Although having said that, you know, someone like Joni Mitchell, I've always loved, but I suspect that it's because she was doing more interesting musical things as a purely musical things than Bob Dylan was. So it was kind of strange for me that I didn't, you know, I, I, I remember experiencing, um, I remember when Skylarking by XTC came out, which I love that album. And I listened to it with a friend and he talked to me at the end of the album about all the lyrics. And I just thought, I haven't listened to any words at all. How does, how can he listen to a song for the first time and be gobsmacked by what, what Andy Partridge is singing about. I was really, really struck by that. And I kind of thought, oh yeah, I just don't listen to the words. And then I kind of learned, oh yeah, of course, the it's about the relationship of words and music. Um, and so when I got into Sufjan Stevens and I started to listen to that one, that, and I remember hearing that song for the very first time and thinking, oh yeah, he's telling a very, very clear story here. Um, and, um, and, and I love that, the fact that in this particular song, um, you know, it's it's about a friend, a girlfriend, you know, who gets cancer and dies. And it's his experience. You kind of imagine him as a late teenager, I guess. And you imagine it, him as being very real. It's very interesting for me that I've no idea if it is a true story and it doesn't matter. But you hear it absolutely as if he's telling you this story that, that really happened. Um, uh, and that, you know, it's over those few months of her being diagnosed and dying of cancer. <clears throat> um, and yet it's not <clears throat> at all morbid. It's not at all mournful in a, in a way. I mean, some of the words kind of are. And he does what he does such a lot, which is just take four chords <laughs> and go round and round with those four chords. And what I love about Sir John Stevens with his four chords is he finds different ways putting melodies together on it so you know the verse melody has different from the, the trumpet melody when that comes in <clears throat> and it's very it's very real you can see very clear images in it and yet there are images that you that quest you question <clears throat> like um his father drove into the navy yard just to prove that he was sorry it's like, it's a kind of extraordinary phrase. You kind of, it doesn't, you know, what earth does that mean? You know, but you know, there's a kind of backstory and you know that there's someone who's driven. And I always think for some reason, because I've, I've lived in the Southwest, I can see the Navy Yard in Plymouth, quite near where I live. And I always see that, you know, when I hear that line, someone driving into the, and you're just thinking, yeah, what is the backstory of that? And it doesn't particularly matter. And, um, and there are other words like see, at the beginning, he talks about the 4-H stone. And I, I, and I didn't realise until I looked at the lyrics a lot later that it's four and then H, stone, he's referring to forage. And I always heard it as forage, forage, you know, like searching for stuff in the woods and the, the forage stone. Oh, yeah. And I, I love those things about when you hear a word that's slightly wrong. And in this case, it really doesn't matter because I still don't know what 4H stone is. It is it like pH value? I have no idea. Or is it something? Whereas the forage stone is something he went and found, you know, so... Um, yeah, and I and this is a song that my um, my daughter has sung, and I've performed it with her, and that's been a really lovely thing to do. So I have a kind of quite strong connection of her, you know, taking that 
story and singing it and then me kind of being in a backing group with her um and that so that's when I've, I've kind of had have I felt I've had quite strong emotional content because I'm not I don't play other people's music very much um I've done sort of John Stevens Christmas songs and I really I really enjoy and that's been a fantastic little project but other than that <clears throat> not really performed very much but I think I've learned quite a lot from Sufjan's songs and particularly the thing about you know having the same set of chords going on throughout and but changing the melodies and the um the arranging accompaniment so that it sounds like it's very different and then you come back and you think there's just four chords that go throughout so I've kind of learned from it as well yeah yeah it's a beautiful song yeah and yeah I agree with all the Steffi said there, it's, it paints a really good picture, very clear. I'd be interested to know if it is a true story or not. But it's again, I know what you're saying about the origin of certain lyrics. It's sometimes it's interesting to, and I, I used to be, so I'm the kind of opposite of you. Like when I first got to be, I was, I'm very lyric, lyric heavy. I'd always be very interested in studying all the words. And I think, I think my, my need to understand them has, has definitely lessened a lot. So I used to be like, I'd want to know exactly what a song was about and all the references in it. And then I think I think it's probably through Tom Waits who like generally gives different stories for what his songs about every time he's asked, and um, and him being very clear about I'm not I, you know it's it might be about this it might be about this it kind of doesn't really matter what I wrote it about it's what it matters to you about, and um, it comes up a lot in Swan songs as well people you know like we're talking about something so we can't put that in because people don't know what it means it's like it doesn't matter if people know what it means it matters if it means something to you and I guess to the people who you're writing it for if you're writing it just for your husband or wife. If they get it, that's all that matters. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. I was talking last night <clears throat> with some friends about um, the new Bob Dylan album, and, um, and in fact, a cousin of a cousin of mine who's a massive Bob Dylan fan, and he's always been surprised that I haven't because I've known him all his life. He's a couple of years younger than me, um, and he was saying that this new album, you know, it quotes from a lot of ancient Roman history and it quotes from a lot of Shakespeare, um, and I don't didn't get those things i don't know about that and it's quite interesting isn't it you know for him as a kind of you know who's heard every bob dylan album and you know invested a lot of his life in understanding it you know for him that uh, that's what you know he, that's what he's kind of enjoying about that whereas for me it's just like actually i'm just enjoying the the imagery without knowing what the, the references are yeah yeah and i sometimes think about it like in songs i I like to have, you, know, you have different different ways of enjoying different songs. Some songs you just enjoy, it's got a great groove, a great tune to it. Some it's the, you know, it's like Murder Most Foul, the, the first single from that new Dylan album. You know, it's like 17 minutes long or something like that. And that's kind of, so that's a great journey if you really want to study all those references and the amazing way he crafts lyrics and things together. But it's not, it's not a, a dance floor hit, is it? <laughs> it's, a, well, it's not a big sing-along either, but there's, there's space for all these different songs and, uh, and yeah, different times of day, I feel like enjoying different types of, uh, of songs. Yeah, I think the thing about Sufjan is interesting because he, you know, he did, he has made an album about the death of his mother. Mm. And that's very, you know, it's called Carrie and Lowell and it's about his relationship with his mum. And you, from what you read about what he said about it and when you hear the lyrics, you know that that is very emotionally heartfelt and, and hearing that tour live was very extraordinary you know hearing those songs him singing live and and it's a really interesting thing isn't it about whether that you know Casimir Pulaski there is it a true story or is it not and it really doesn't it doesn't matter if you believe it in the song but it's there's something quite interesting as well because actually you'd think that I think if I tried to write a song like that where I'm first person telling a story about something which isn't real I think I'd find it quite difficult. I don't think I'd be able to pull it off. Whereas I definitely think he can because there's enough of him in how he presents it or something. I'm not quite sure, but um, yeah. But it, 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 I always do think, oh yeah, is this is this true? This story? Yeah. Yeah. There's something. Um, I think when Tom Waits did the Storytellers, the uh, VH1 Storytellers show, he said something like that. Was telling a story. He says, he says, yeah. Um, a lot of these songs, I don't remember where they came from. Uh, but I'll make something up that might be better. <laughs> and then he says, um, you know, it's like when you go and see a really bad movie and someone leans in next to you and says, you know, this is based on a true story. He says, does it really make it a better movie? Yes. <laughs> Which I thought was really interesting. And the other thing that kind of made me think then is sometimes even if the story is not true, the, the sentiment behind it is. 
So they, the specific lyrics of the song might might be fictional, but the the what what the artist is conveying in those stories is is true, and that's what makes it effective. For... Yeah, and I think um yeah, and it always makes me think about the Paul McCartney thing about you know he says or says that he doesn't know what a song is about until he's until he's sung it to someone else and they've told him. Um, and you kind of know that that can't be really kind of true because he knows where they've come from. But but at the same time, it's absolutely true because, you know, if someone responds to that song in a way or it triggers something, a, a memory or an emotion, and therefore it kind of releases something, then it's worked. And, you know, so he may, he has no control as neither do you, neither do I. You know, once we've written a song and shared it with people, we've no control over what they're going to think about it or respond how they're going to respond to it yeah yeah it's one of the beautiful things about it one of the yeah uh, great kind of excitements when you do share a song with people of, of yeah how, how people interpret and react to it exactly um brilliant well yeah it's been really nice talking to you we've gone we've gone way over time so i uh, apologize for taking up more of your time but i've really enjoyed that conversation yeah likewise it's always nice to share stuff about um about songs and music yeah, definitely. Um, have you got anything coming up? Are you doing any uh, any more Facebook Live things or anything you want to mention? I got a bit. I got a bit burnt out that I um, decided to kind of take a bit of time off. I've quite enjoyed no Facebook, not reading the news for two weeks now, which I'm quite surprised. Nice. I'm, I'm kind of continuing it at the moment. Um, I've been making. I've been making a lot of songs, and I'm struggling with how to release them at the moment, as kind of we all are. You know, it's just like, is there any point? Is there any point or, well, no, not is there any point, but, you know, what's the medium in which you'll kind of present stuff because we don't have any, um, uh, you know, vinyl, CD, cassette online. It's just like, how do you, how do you present them? So I am making some quite interesting songs at the moment. And, uh, uh, but, but I suppose in terms of a big project, um, I've just applied for some funding, which we'll find out quite soon, which is an intergenerational project. And actually going back to the musical hug thing, it's it's actually a kind of research project of how close can we get to skinship without actually touching each other. So we're going to try, it's an intergenerational project. And if we get the money, you know, one project will be writing letters, one will be telephoning, one will be Zoom, one will be outside the window, um, uh, one will be... Um, I can't remember, that's four, if there's five different ways, and actually we're going to try and see, you know, which one does replicate the kind of, you know, the actually having a kind of physical hug closest. So I really hope that we get that one. And it's one of those things where it's quite short term funding. We'll find out in a couple of weeks and then we have to do it between August and December or something. So, um, yeah, that's all I can think of at the moment. I'm sure there are other things. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Well, I think it's crossed for you there. And I'll, t I'll put your website in the description and um, tag your Natural Causes page so people can uh, can check out those links if they want to keep up to date with your, your upcoming stuff. Yeah, great. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Hugh. Yeah, good luck. Thank you. And uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'll be back with another episode soon. <laughs>